Hello, this is Saul Gonzalez, lead pastor of Lifehouse Church, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I believe that through this message, God will encourage you, challenge you, and better yet, change you for the glory of God and for the purposes God has called you. Enjoy this message. Hello, Lifehouse. God bless you. This is Saul Gonzalez from Lifehouse to your house, and I pray to your heart. Uh, We've just finished our most important, most delicate, most requested, most corresponded um, series about relation shifts. The need to shift, to change, to evolve uh, according to the Holy Spirit's mandates so that your relationships can be healthy and balanced knowing that a life is not that significant, that a life can never ever thrive without successful, healthy relationships. I'll say that again, you were meant to never thrive. It was not God's design to have anyone feel that they could enjoy or believe they could enjoy life to the fullest without engaging in the hard work of relationships that are healthy, that are evolving, that are growing, where you as a person are growing, where it's not the onus is not on the other person. I'll say that again. The onus is not on your spouse or your your children or your husband. The onus is on you. You are the creator. You are the captain of your own soul and ship. And you can develop skills and tools uh, to and the right relation shifts, adjustments, changes so that you can engender, cultivate, maintain, and sustain healthy, relevant relationships that honor God, honor yourself, and honor others. I want, by way of summary, to finish uh, this series uh, that I left halfway done in my last message and uh, how to relationship and restore broken relationships. How to relationship and restore broken relationships. First, we said that you must first talk to God. Uh, Before you talk to other people, there is no doubt that we are always gonna be engaging in tough moments. You are going to be making mistakes. I've made many, many mistakes in my relationships and um, I, I have to ultimately own it. So, but in order to fix a broken relationship, in order to fix something that God does not want to leave unaddressed, you need to take the initiative and before you take that initiative, you need to number one, talk to God before talking to the other person or persons. Talk to God, spend time with God, meditate, pray um, about the conflict. Instead of gossiping to a friend, uh, give God a chance to change hearts, beginning with your heart, possibly the other person's heart, but more importantly, your relationship will go smoother. Your conversations will go better if you first talk to God and you pause. Do what David did in the book of Psalms. When you read the book of Psalms, that you'll learn David's secret. He ventilated vertically. So learn to ventilate your frustrations, your hurt, your pain, uh, your the insults that you feel that you've uh, been injured and that you are now dealing with. Uh, Learn how to wrestle uh, with yourself by way of ventilating with God. Take it to God. Uh, Take your problems, your concerns, your hurts directly to God. God is never surprised, by the way, by your feelings, by what you're sensing. God is not surprised. He knows your heart. He knows your hurts. He knows your hangups, your handicaps, and that you are uh, hurting and many of your hell-bent habits. God knows them. God knows them. God knows them. 
remember that conflict is rooted in unmet needs. Remember, conflict uh, is sprouted, it's rooted, uh, it stems from unmet needs. Anytime we expect anyone to meet the needs that only God can meet, it's going to lead you, it's going to set you up for disappointments, frustration, brokenness, and bitterness. I think that bears repeating. Anytime that anyone expects uh, someone else to meet your needs, your expectations, which are, by the way, most of the times unrealistic and unfair to the partner, to the friend, uh, to your colleague, to your spouse, unfair that they are supposed to meet your needs. Uh, and when that happens, you are going to left, be left disappointed, empty, uh, frustrated, broken, and bitterness. Let's read James chapter four, verse one and two. James chapter four, verse one and two. James asks two questions. First, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What's the source of the fight, of the quarrel? Secondly, he answers that question with another question. Uh, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In essence, they come from your flesh. I'll say, I'll say that again. Whatever quarrels, whatever fights, whatever engagement that you are that is hostile, it comes from your very own passion, from your own very feelings, especially from your flesh. Uh, and then I want to just have you uh, hear this thought here. Uh, you want something, he says, but you don't get it. So that, that leads you to kill and to covet, uh, but you cannot have what you want, Paul says. So then you quarrel and you fight. So it's important to know that uh, conflict stems, conflict stems from ourselves, from our passion, uh, from our need to compete, to compare, uh, from our greed, our envy, our jealousy, all those feelings, all those passions that are toxic, uh, that are within us already innately interred deeply in our hearts and in our flesh. Once you realize that you are the source, that your passions are the source of why we quarrel, um, Paul says, I live dead, I live dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the Apostle says, I die daily. Did you hear that? I die daily. And another verse says, I am crucified with Christ. I crucify this flesh with Christ so that I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me so that whatever I used to live in the flesh, now I live in the faith. I live through faith uh, to the excellence or to the glory of God the Father. I think it's important to know that Paul says, I die daily and I am crucified jointly with Christ. There's the recipe. So when you die to self, to your flesh, you are going to engage and engender in quality, healthy, long life or long lasting, lifelong uh, relationships that are gonna lead you to the next level and next platform. Number two, take the initiative. Always take the initiative. It doesn't matter whether you are the offender or the offended. God expects you to make the first move. Don't wait on the other person. Don't defer. Uh, don't put it on the other person. You be the person that wins with God. The person that initiate wins with God. And that is the most important. Not who wins and not who loses the argument, the debate, the, uh, the fight or the quarrel. Who wins with God? Uh, because restoring fellowship, broken fellowship, is so important in scripture, in your life, that Jesus says that it should take priority even over worship. I want you to say that again or see this on your screen and I wanna say this again. Restoring broken fellowship is so important that Jesus said it should take priority even over worship. Look at Matthew chapter five, verse 23 and 24. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. 
then and only then come back and work things out with God. What a powerful verse that basically states that your relationship with others is connected directly to the kind of relationship you expect to have with God. Because if you're not right with your fellow man, you should not expect to be right with God. If you can't forgive others, God says that he's stuck. He's unable to forgive you. That is the law. That is the spiritual law and the rule that all of us need to abide with, uh, abide by. And that's why Christ says, abandon your worship, abandon your offering, go make things right with your fellow man, your person, your friend, your spouse, and then come back and continue to worship and work things out with God. What a great thought. What a powerful principle. I want you to remember something that once you engage in conflict, time heals nothing. I want to say that again. When you're engaged in conflict, time heals nothing. Actually, time just causes hurt to fester and by extension frustrates your most sacred, your most solemn, and your most special relationships. Acting quickly uh, will help reduce the damage that you do to others, but especially the damage that you do to yourself as well. Because not acting quickly or when you're engaged in conflict, it's most likely that you've already sinned and offended the other person and by extension sinned and offended God more importantly. I want you to remember these three things that sin causes. Uh, number one, sin blocks your fellowship with God himself. Sin blocks your fellowship with God. Secondly, sin sabotages your relationship with your spouse or your loved ones or others. Sin is a saboteur. And thirdly, sin will keep your prayers from being answered. Sin will keep your prayers from being answered. And every one of those three things are huge. They're huge because you're stuck. Uh, because you did not take the initiative in engaging and asking for forgiveness and talking to that person. Look at what 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says that husbands, if you're a husband or a wife, husbands always treat your wives uh, with consideration in their lives together. In other words, this is for wives too, that both husband and wife, because I believe that that's the most sacred after your relationship with God and yourself, your relationship with your spouse if you're married, that is the most delicate, that's the most sacred, that is where things can definitely go south. They go wrong. And once they go wrong there, everything else uh, is basically a domino effect. Um, the Bible says that Peter keeps saying that this, having consideration, being careful how you treat each other, this will prevent anything from coming in your way of your prayers. In other words, this will prevent, stop anything from obstructing your prayer, from reaching God's heart and God reaching back to yours. Job says that you are only hurting yourself when you allow anger to fester. You're only hurting yourself when your anger festers and simmers without it uh, being addressed. And so this is a very powerful principles to live by. Just that the conflict will not get resolved by itself unless you uh, go first to God and then to the other person. Uh, secondly, you take the initiative because taking the initiative is the wisest, most spiritual form of moving forward to heal the relationship. And then thirdly, sympathize. If you want to heal a broken relationship, broken fellowship with somebody you care about or care for, uh, sympathize uh, with the other person's feelings. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and listen. Listen to the hurt. When they're sharing, you. if you listen attentively, if you listen beyond the words and beyond your own feelings and your own prejudice and pride, you'll hear, you're likely to listen and the sound of what hurt sounds like. Somebody that's been offended, somebody that's been misunderstood, somebody that is looking to be understood and looking for someone to sympathize with him or with her 
And that is a critical point in terms of anyone who is going to learn to live, uh, to learn to live and live to learn with healthy relationships is you learn to sympathize with the other person's viewpoint and perspective. Begin by sympathizing. Look for sympathy and not necessarily for solutions. You focus on their feelings and not the facts. Listen while they unload without you becoming defensive. Uh, and you can always understand the person, even if you don't agree with their case and point or with their frustration and you don't agree with what they've done, you don't have to, but you can also uh, look to understand the person. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 21 and 22, that when my heart was bitter and my feelings were hurt, I was senseless and ignorant. When I was bitter and hurt, I became senseless and ignorant. Like a brute beast, I did not understand you, the person or God. Wisdom and understanding come from hearing the problems and perspective of others, uh, even when we cannot relate or agree with them. Wisdom and understanding come as we listen for the hurt, the pain, the frustration. We put ourselves in the other person's shoes and then all of a sudden you are gleaning, gaining wisdom and understanding and God begins to smile on your relationships. So how do you heal broken relationships? How do you restore broken fellowship? Because you cannot, again, have that fellowship with God until you have it with others and with yourself. Number four, here it is. This is critical. This is important. Confess your part of the conflict. That's right. Confessing means that you own it. That's right. You take responsibility. You're not deferring. You're not deflecting. You're not blaming others. You're not blaming your past, your ancestors, your parents, uh, your environment, how you grew up, how you were treated or mistreated as you grew up. Don't go there. Don't look to deflect. Don't look to defend yourself. Just admit uh, your part of the conflict. Confess it. Uh, admitting your own mistakes always helps you see things more clearly. Confession is often the most important and decisive step toward healing and reconciliation that bears repeating. That confession is the most important and decisive step toward healing and reconciliation. Remember, we all have blind spots. Remember, there's no one perfect. Don't put yourself into a corner of trying to defend yourself or trying to look good or trying to excuse your bad behavior, your words that hurt and or your decision making or your comportment that was uh, below your standard and below God's expectations and unbecoming of a Christian or unbecoming of a loving spouse or a father or a mother. Uh, do not go looking for excuses or scapegoats. That will reflect uh, badly on you. Remember, we all have blind spots. And if we're not careful, how we handle a conflict creates greater hurt, uh, deeper pain than the original problem. I'll say that again often, such a little thing, uh, a misunderstanding, maybe a word that was misunderstood or misspoken, uh, all of a sudden becomes a big, big deal. And then it becomes that little spark that just ignites the entire force and pretty soon everybody, or you're deeply hurting each other with words and actions that don't even, you probably sometimes don't even remember what started it, but you remember the hurt and the pain of the words that caused you pain or caused you grief in your heart. Matthew chapter seven, verse five, Jesus says that first get rid of the log that is in your own eye. Hear this, first get rid of the log that is inhibiting, prohibiting you from seeing clearly. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. First John chapter one, verse eight also says, the apostle says, if you claim that you are free from sin, you're only fooling yourself. 
Here's how it reads. If we claim that we're free from sin, we only are fooling ourselves. And don't go there because no one can claim that you are guiltless, uh, that you are innocent. That is not true. Uh, every problem, every conflict has a little speck or a lot where you and I contributed to the problem. At this point of the message, I'm going to take it just a personal liberty to share a personal testimony and story. Some time ago, I was a young man, uh, was a worship leader in our church, and there was a rule that half an hour before the service, no practice should be uh, happening in the pulpit or in the stage. And uh, there was a sister myself working on some last minute changes, arrangements, and a deacon came to remind me of the rule. And I assented, um, and but kept going after he left. Maybe a few minutes later, he came back and was offended and took umbrage that I continued to ignore uh, the rule that was in play. And once he said something to me in a certain tone, remember there's a principle that it's not what you say, but how you say it, that triggers and elicits other emotions that are probably in keeping with the, with the same tone that you and I use. So I immediately became offended, defensive, and I said things that I should not have said. And ultimately I spoke rudely and harshly back to that deacon who was, he was the caretaker of the time and, and he was in the right. I felt really, really convicted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I told him, he went away uh, sad or, or also feeling just, just offended. And my initial thought was, I showed him, uh, that'll teach him. That was my initial thought in the flesh. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit immediately. A few seconds after that, the Holy Spirit says to me, Saul, you did not win, you lost. Uh, you grieved that not only that person, but you grieved the Holy Spirit. And I felt convicted and I, I, I wanted, I mean, I couldn't sing, I couldn't uh, just worship. Uh, and immediately the Holy Spirit says, you need to make this right. And I said to the Holy Spirit, I will, I'll wait till the Wednesday service, this was a Sunday, I'll wait for the Wednesday service to, to uh, find him and uh, ask him for forgiveness. The Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to wait till the Wednesday service. You're going to do this first thing tomorrow. You're going to go to his house where he is king and master. You're going to knock on his door and there you're going to ask him humbly to forgive you uh, for, for offending him. And, and let me say something that it's, uh, it's easier said than done. Uh, taking the initiative, uh, um, admitting your part of the conflict, admitting that you're responsible without looking for that other person to take any responsibility for their shortcoming because it's not about them or what they did uh, because no offense should excuse you and I to engage in similar or reciprocal uh, response. This is critical. So I honestly, I probably went around that block seven or eight or nine times, around and around, maybe thinking that if I went around it seven times like the walls of Jericho, God would release me from the, this important assignment to take onus, take responsibility, own it, knock on uh, that uh, brother's door, uh, and I finally mustered the courage. I asked the Holy Spirit to help me do it sincerely. And so I was knocking on that door. My, my knees and my, my legs were buckling. And he opened the door. When he opened the door, he was scared. He, he was scared and I got scared that he got scared when I got scared that he got scared. And that's what happened. We kind of just stared at each other, scared. And so his reaction was, uh, hi, uh, come on in. So I did, I came in. And when I was in his living room where he is master king and the, the, basically the, the owner of his home, I, I sincerely asked him to forgive me. I, I confess my part. I shouldn't have been practicing. I should have listened to you the first time. Please forgive me. And then he immediately reciprocated. There was something about that moment that became tender, that became genuine. That became a, a moment where a conflict actually brought us closer together. 
where confession was used by the Holy Spirit to just uh, meld to people. Uh, and he began to just share his part. And I said, no, you don't have to. It's not your fault. It's my fault. He said, no, it is my fault. And I said, no, it's not your fault. And we were just there, just going back and forth, sharing our thoughts, our, our, our regret, uh, that the enemy would use such a, a moment like this to bring this moment asunder, to bring uh, this relationship to this point. I immediately felt uh, I was, see, I was going that weekend to go minister. I was going to preach at a revival uh, in, in uh, Richmond, California. And I asked him, I said, uh, brother, I'm on my way this next weekend uh, to Richmond. I will be speaking at a conference and I want God to go with me. I want the Holy Spirit upon my life. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I want the Holy Spirit's pleasure and blessing and anointing. And he began to pray. Uh, he began to pray. He put his hands on my, uh, on my head, on my shoulders. He began to pray and ask God for anointing, his grace, his favor. Uh, and uh, we left and parted as friends. We were mutual acquaintances. We were respectful before in church. He had a, a, a title and I had a ministry together. And we, that moment, God just did something about our friendship that, that brought about a friendship that was lifelong. A few years ago, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he came to see us right here in this, uh, in this campus. And he just says, Pastor Saul, I wanna let you know, here's the diagnosis. It's not looking good and, and um, I never forgot, he says, I never forgot the day you came to our home and you knocked on my door that was etched indel indelibly in my life forever. And right then I knew that God had great things for you. See, I was just a kid. I don't know, late teens, early 20s. And, and I just acknowledged, I just knew that I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I had offended another brother and I went to go knock and he says, I'll never forget uh, that day, it's etched indelibly, indelibly in my heart and mind. And he says, Saul, when God calls me home, I want you to, I want to join. He, see, he became a pastor, a successful pastor of a church in Wasco, a congregation there. And, and he says, I'd like for that church, for that congregation to merge with yours. Now, I want you to look at what conflict resolve when, when, when we, all of us, have the courage to admit our part without looking for someone else to take responsibility for theirs. Because a lot of times we say, if I'm going to humble themselves, I want to hear <clears throat> that person humble himself too. If I'm going to admit, then that person should admit their part. No, no, a thousand times no. It's not about what they did wrong or the other person did. That's between them and God. It's what you know the Holy Spirit has convicted you about owning it, about being responsible and taking responsibility uh, for your shortcomings and your shortcomings alone. Like uh, David says in Psalm 51, I and only I have sinned against you. It wasn't Bathsheba. It wasn't somebody else's sin. He wasn't blaming Joab that conspired with him to kill Uriah. No, sir, no, ma'am. David understands that sin is personal between you and God and God, a holy and righteous God, and us that have offended his holiness and righteousness. He says, I and only I have sinned against you. And that is the critical part about confession. That is the critical part about moving forward, about being forgiven by God, of having God's release, God's blessing, God's anointing, God's authority, God's goodness, God's grace over your life, is the moment you confess, the moment you own it, the moment you share your part in the conflict, you share and you confess your part in the conflict. That very moment, 
the Holy Spirit releases spiritual endorphins all over your soul and life. And those spiritual endorphins begin to just bring healing and deliverance and authority and your anointing and the grace of God upon your life that opens doors, will promote you to the next level, will anoint your words and God will bring about uh, great uh, deliverances and great uh, counts, blessings that you were not counting on. Why? Because confession is not only good for the heart, confession pleases God and brings healing to relationships. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me bring this to closure. Number five, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. See, you cannot fix the problem when you're consumed with fixing the blame. It bears repeating. You cannot fix the problem if you're consumed with fixing blame. You must choose between the two. You either fix the problem or you're trying to fix somebody with the blame. In resolving conflict, how you say something is just as important as what you're saying. How you say it in the manner, the speech, the tone is just as important, I would say probably more important than what you're saying because it shows that you mean it. I pray that you mean it sincerely. That if you say something offensively, it will be received defensively and missiles are gonna come your way and you're sending missiles back. And sometimes when you think you're gonna resolve something, if, you don't, if you're not careful and if you don't say it empathetically, if you don't say it with the right tone and sincerely, it'll be received in the same manner in which it is being given. Uh, you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. You're never persuasive when you and I are abrasive. Proverbs 15:1 says that a kind answer, a gentle, soft answer soothes angry feelings but harsh words stirs them up. What a powerful verse for all of us to keep in mind. Proverbs 16, 21 says that a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. This is bears repeating that a wise and mature person is known for his or her understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. So I say, wisdom dictates, attack the problem. Focus on the issue, not the person, not the personality, and not what he or she said, but why? What's happening? Where's the issue? And address the issue, the item, the problem, and not attack the person, uh, please. Number six, do your part cooperate as much as possible. You, at the end of the day, need to do your part. Play your role. Do everything that is within your strength, ability, wherewithal, withness, with, and with wisdom. Do your part to cooperate. Uh, peace always comes at a, with a price tag. Peace always comes with a price tag. Sometimes it costs our pride. Sometimes it'll cost you time, or it'll cost you to be humble, or make yourself walk humble. Cost you uh, um, a, an expression of just keeping to yourself whatever you really have in mind to tell that person. Uh, it'll almost always cost us our self-centeredness, and it'll definitely cost you your pride, but it'll, the dividends, the rewards of, of just doing your part, cooperating, uh, making peace, being a peacemaker, Romans chapter 12, verse eight says that do everything possible, do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Do everything possible to do your part to live in peace with everybody. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, that blessed are the peacemakers. That's right, blessed, happy are the peacemakers because you will be called a child of God. 
You will know your place in the kingdom of God. If you are a peacemaker, you will discover who you are in the kingdom of God and know your place as a peacemaker in the kingdom of God. So at the end of the day, so how do we restore broken fellowship, broken relationships? Here it is. You reconcile, you reconcile. So you focus on reconciliation if resolution is not possible. Now, reconciliation and resolution, that's the goal, is to resolve, to be at peace, to move on and, and continue to with that relationship. But a lot of times, certain relationships, they, they just need to stop. They need to cease. They need to go in their own direction. And But reconciliation is optimal. That is what the goal is ultimately if and when resolution is not possible. See, it is unrealistic to expect everyone to agree on everything. You're not going to get all people to agree on all things. It's impossible. So I think for us to have that expectation that it's okay to agree to disagree. It's okay to agree to disagree without taking it personally, without taking umbrage, without taking offense, or when somebody else takes offense, be quick to say, hey, forgive me. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said it that way. I take responsibility. And immediately you nip it in the bud. You cut it right there. You don't allow the enemy to take words uh, or actions or comportment and take it to the next level, you de-escalate it. Immediately, you defuse the bomb that is ticking, the offense that the other person took. Uh, you immediately sense, and you use the discernment of the Holy Spirit. You're the mature person, Christian, that understands that to be right with God, you need to be right with others. To be right with God, you need to go through the trouble, the time, the travel, whatever it takes to be right with others. Uh, because resolution focuses on the problem. Resolution will focus on the problem while reconciliation focuses on the relationship. So we, we don't necessarily, you don't want to win the argument, you want to win the relationship back because no transaction is worth losing a relationship, especially with God. A resolution focuses on the problem. And if you can resolve the problem and reconcile at the same time, amen. But a lot of times the goal is going to be reconciliation because reconciliation focuses on the relationships. And when we focus on reconciliation, the problem loses its significance and becomes irrelevant. Oftentimes, when we focus on reconciliation, on, the, on not solving the problem, but re restoring the relationship with that person, uh, problems, the problem, the issue is forgotten. It falls to the backdrop. It doesn't really matter. It loses its significance and becomes irrelevant. Uh, this doesn't mean that you give up on finding a resolution. It just means that if you don't, uh, that's okay. You want to continue in the spirit of harmony, a harmony that pleases God and that pleases uh, the other person and that where God smiles. Um, many, many, many years ago, when I was a kid, might be nine, 10 years of age, I call this the Royal Ranger Rumble in the Jungle. The Royal Ranger Rumble in the Jungle. If you stood and, and to hear this message this long, then you deserve something like this. Um, uh, I was uh, the, the, a commander, a person that I love. We still have a great relationship. He was a Royal Ranger commander. He gave us instructions not to touch a flag that we had made as part of our outpost, uh, uh, outpost 58, uh, excuse me, 88. That was our outpost number to this day from the church that we grew up in, in McFarland. And, uh, and so he said, don't touch this flag. And so what did I do immediately around nine? I was nine or 10 years of age. And, and at, at a moment when I thought nobody was watching or he was, he was giving instructions, I wanted to touch the flag and I began to touch the flag. And at that moment in his reaction, uh, he uh, slapped my hand. That's what happened. He slapped my hand and uh, I was more caught off guard and embarrassed. It wasn't so much the pain. I was embarrassed. Uh, that it happened. And so I kind of began to weep. Um, and he took the time 
See, I grew up in a Christian home where spanking or discipline, uh, corporate spanking was, 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 it happened almost every day. It was part of the culture, if you will. And we never felt abused, but it happened all the time. And it wasn't so much the slap in the hand. It wasn't that it stung and it did. It was the embarrassment. But I want to tell you something about this commander and why I love him to this day like a father is that he's the first adult that ever took the time to uh, have a conversation with me and look into my eyes and he asked me to forgive him. And to me, I was, I was uh, nonplus. It was, it was like totally like, I did not understand why when I did the wrong, I'm the one that touched, I'm the one that broke protocol, I'm the one that disobeyed and I deserve to be slapped in the hand. That's what it was. And yet he understood that in the spirit that there was something else that happened to maybe a young man whose feelings were hurt. Uh, not so much the hand, by the way, it's those things. Uh, not so much the hand, but the feelings. And he took me to a side. He looked at me, he looked at me in the eye and he says, Saul, perdóname. I've never heard those words coming from an adult. Uh, my parents, uh, they never at that point, later on they did. But perdóname was so powerful, so personal that it just healed. I didn't think he needed to ask me. I was okay, but, but when he did, it took healing to a whole nother level. It took my respect and admiration to him to a whole different level, a lifetime, if you will. We still <laughs> live, we still know each other. We're still, he's still part of this church, part of this fellowship. If I mentioned his name, you would know his family, which are just a powerful family in our community and in Kern County. He says, Saul, perdóname. Uh, I shouldn't have not done. I did wrong. Will you forgive me? And he looked at me and I said, of course, of course. And what I want to share with you is that it's possible to find both reconciliation and resolution. But when resolution is not possible, reconciliation is optimal. Let me finish with this. Reconciliation means that you bury the hatchet, not necessarily the issue. First Peter chapter three, verse 11 says, work hard at living in peace with others. Work hard at living in peace with others. Matthew 5, 9 again says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. You shall inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, I'd like to just have you practice these principles of how to restore broken fellowship, broken relationships. If you do and you go through this message, maybe a few times, you'll be able to understand the wisdom, the principles behind healing and restoring broken relationships. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, you are the, the one that comes to, to breach the gap. You are the, uh, the one that comes to bridge, uh, the repairer of the breach. You are the repairer of the breach. And many of us, all of us are guilty in one form or another is just coming and hinder and hurting, uh, offending others by our actions, by our inactions, by our words or our silence, by our attitude and or activities or actions. We cause offenses and we offend others. And we have not learned, many of us, these principles of how to restore immediately, firstly, responsibly, uh, to do it in such a way that it brings pleasure to your eyes and heart, and then healing to the relationships and restoration and reconciliation is our ultimate goal when resolution is not possible. I pray for wisdom, I pray for grace, I pray for the courage to take initiative, to be the first one that starts. Just talk to God before you talk to others, to engage in conversations responsibly with humility 
I pray that God gives you and me the ability to foster and maintain holy, happy, healthy, wholesome relationships so that your life and my life can be taken to the next level and used by God to bless his kingdom to the glory of God the Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We love you from Lifehouse to your house, to your heart. We love you. We pray for you. Thank you for your prayers. Don't miss our next presentation. Thank you for your support, especially your prayers. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you so very much for joining us today on the Lifehouse podcast. I pray and hope this message has encouraged, inspired, and challenged you to grow closer to God. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing here at Lifehouse, visit our website at lifehousechurch.com. That's lifehousechurch.com for more information or consider subscribing and share it with one of your friends and family. Thank you again for being part of our journey, your journey, that will lead you to know God better, grow together, and go serve and make a difference. Thank you again. God bless you. See you next time.